love it when the church prays together. We're here for more than just going through the motions, being entertained. We're standing in a holy place where we're sitting in a holy place in the presence of a holy God. There's so much, so much more to life. Uh, I don't know about you, but I hate to lose. Anybody hate to lose? I'm glad like five of you acknowledge that. Like, that's why I'm, all right. I, I just hate to lose. I, I grew up as a, as a kid and... And just hated to lose. It, like, I think it was kind of in my nature. It's really interesting because I really, my family, at least looking, at, looking back at my family, was never really all that athletic. <laughs> like, I, my, my brothers tried to, try to claim that they were athletic, but I look back and I think, mm, no, nah, you really weren't all that athletic. And, and I loved sports. I was really athletic and played, uh, played as much as I possibly could. And uh, I, w- I was actually not in a, in a confident or a cocky way, but I was actually pretty decent at, uh, at basketball. And, and, and I, I grew to this place where I just hated to lose. Like, I just couldn't stand it. I can, remember as a, I can remember as a kid, probably, you know, when I was like eight, nine, ten, growing up, my grandmother would come over and she would stay. She lived out of town and her name was Nana, right? And uh, I can remember at the time that she came over, my grandmother ended up dying at like 99 years old and um, she lived a long time, had an incredible life. And every time I went to her house, I can remember walking in and every conversation turned into talk about Jesus. Right? Every, whether I wanted to or not, every conversation went to, went to Jesus. Well, Nana would come in and she, would, she, would, she lived about an hour away, so she would come stay with us a couple of days. And we had this little hallway in our, in our, in our room, in our house, and I had like one of those little Nerf basketball goals. And so Nana would go out and she'd play basketball with me. Right? Eight, nine, nine, ten years old, we'd have a we'd have a free throw shooting contest, right? So we'd set the little nerf goal up there and we'd, you know, we come back about, I don't know, six, seven feet, we'd have a free throw con- contest. And I can remember losing. <laughs> no, 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 I'm not losing to my grandmother, y'all. So, you know, after after losing a couple times, I decided now I got to take measures into my own hands. Somehow I got to hurt Nana so I can't lose anymore. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't. I fought it though, like, because that's one of the things, one of the things about me. If, if I was going to lose, then I was going to lose by hurting someone. You're like, man, Pastor Chris, you got some problems. I really do. I really do. Like, like, uh, like in practice, like in practice, if, if, there was a, if there was a breakaway or like if somebody stole the ball from me, like I was always the point guard, so I, most of the time I had the, the ball in my hands. And so if somebody stole the ball from me and, and took it down to the other end to score a layup, uh, no, there's no layup being had because I'm taking you out. Right? And, and this was in the days, right? Like I grew up in the, 80, the late 80s, early 90s, where you can foul somebody and get away with it. Yeah, all these teenagers now are too soft. 
If you watch the NBA lately, you can't even look at somebody the wrong way and get a foul. Right? How many 80s, 90s people, right? Yeah. Duke's a hazard, A-team. That's what I'm talking about. I like you guys. All right. So I, so I hate to lose, but it's really interesting because here we jump into this passage of Scripture in Joshua. So Joshua and the Israelites are just coming off this major victory, right? If you were with us last week, we looked at this battle of Jericho. And maybe even if you didn't grow up in church, you probably at least sum up, maybe even heard about the battle of Jericho. Battle of Jericho happens where uh, Joshua has taken leadership of the, of the nation of Israel. He's just led them through the Jordan, and now they're coming to one of their first battles because God has promised that he's going to lead them into the promised land. But they are not going to get to the promised land without going through a few battles through a few struggles. And so the first battle he sends them into is this place of Jericho, this, this Jericho place where Jericho is surrounded by these high walls and the people in, they don't come in, they don't go out. And it's a fortified city and God wants that city to be his. And so he sends the, the nation of Israel and he says, hey guys, so I want you to go over there. I want you to circle the city. I don't want you to say anything. And for seven days, I just want you to walk around the city. The Ark of the Covenant is going to go before, the priest is going to go before, and so, so I'm sending my presence with you through the Ark of the Covenant. And we're going to defeat them, but your, your, your only thing, there's a couple things you're supposed to do. One, you're supposed to walk around the city. You're not supposed to say anything until on the seventh day till I give you the shout. The other part of it is at the end of the day, you're to go home and rest. You're supposed to rest. And then on the seventh day, when, he, when, he, when the trumpets, trumpets blew, the walls, they had just been walking around, the walls fell down. The Israelites, go into, they go into the city, they take everything. They kill everybody. But there were some things, if you go back into Joshua chapter 6, verse 16, and we didn't read it, 16, 17, 18, right around there, God had told the people, say, listen, when you go into the city, Okay, I want you to kill all the people. I do want you to take you like the gold, silver, bronze, all that kind of stuff, and I want you to stick it into the treasury of the Lord because that's the Lord's. Okay, but what ends up happening is Achan, who's a part of the Israelites, ends up taking some of the things that God had told him not to take. And so that's kind of where we're at as we begin this Joshua chapter 7 piece of it. So let's look at it. Joshua chapter 7, uh, verse, uh, verse 1. It says this, but the Israelites were unfaithful. Say unfaithful. So the Israelites were unfaithful because here's, here, here, here's the whole kind of title for this, month, for this morning. Sometimes we fail. Sometimes we fail. Sometimes we fall short. Sometimes we mess up. Sometimes we make bad choices. I made some bad choices when I lost. I didn't like losing, and so I made some pretty bad choices at times. And we probably can all look back at our life. Every single one of us can look back at our life, because there's nobody in here perfect, can look back at our life and say, man, I, there's some things I screwed up. And the reality of it is, is there are probably some things looking forward that you're going to do that you're going to mess up in the days ahead. But God's trying, listen, listen, God has given us everything we need to make good choices and good decisions moving forward. Amen. Okay? 
God has given us everything. His word says that when we feel tempted to do something that we know that we shouldn't do, there's always a way out. Okay? So, I I just want to lay that as a little bit of a foundation. So, verse 7, verse 1. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things, because that's what what God had told them. He said, when you go into the city, there are some devoted things there, and I don't want you to to do anything. I just want you to burn all of those things, and that did not happen. Achan ended up taking a few of the things, and he took them back to his tent, and he buried them under his tent where his family lived. Okay, uh, so devote things. Achan, son of Cam- uh, uh, Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger did what? So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near uh, Beth-Avon, to the east of Bethel, and told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up, and they spied out Ai. Ai does not mean artificial intelligence, (laughs) just so we're clear, right? Did you guys know that they have it now where a pastor can just go and say, hey, give me a sermon on grace, and it'll write a sermon for you? That'll never happen, as long as I'm part of it. I have no interest. It might be good, but it's not from God. (laughs) Side note. All right. When they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand men to take it, and do uh, do not weary the whole army. For only a few people lived there. So about 3,000 went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai. Right? So the spies go in. They're like, hey, we don't need that much of an army. Let's just send a couple thousand people. They're not, there's not very many of them. So they send them in, and they end up getting beat. They lose the battle. They lose this battle in Ai. Um, who kill, and they killed, verse 5, who killed about 36 of them. So, 36 of the Israelites die. They, they, chased, uh, they chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. Okay, so can you imagine coming off of Jericho and all you pretty much did is walk around the city and then you screamed on the seventh day and the walls came falling down and now you think, well, we're just going to walk into Ai and we're just going to take those jokers. But that wasn't the case. Then Joshua tore his clothes and he fell face down to the ground before the, Lord, before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then Joshua said, alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content. This is really interesting because all of a sudden now Joshua begins to complain about what has just happened. Man, it sounds really familiar to us at times. How often does something happen to us and then we start to complain? Why didn't you just leave us where we were? Um, 
Sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring uh, this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to, de to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan, right? How many times do we want to go back to where we were when God wants to take us somewhere else and give us his promise? Pardon your servant, Lord, what can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they will surrender. They, they will surround us and they will wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? Oh, God, this has happened and what's going to happen now? I find it really interesting how he starts to how, kind of take on that attitude. Then verse 10, then the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Like, I, I can only imagine in that moment, like, God's voice. It's kind of, I mean, as a father, when, you're, you're, when your child is doing something that you don't want them to do, the tone changes. Because I quite frequently have my wife tell me, your tone is a problem. But sometimes there needs to be a tone. And I believe in this moment, it's kind of one of those tones, kind of this stern tone from the Lord. He says, stand up. Like, what are you doing down on your face? It's really interesting because I find that there are many times when God wants you down on your face in humility and reverence for who he is. But in this moment, when you're down on your face because you're making excuses and nothing has happened, he's like, what are you doing? Get up. Stand up. Israel has sinned. Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen, which, to be honest with you, let's be honest, you can't hide anything from the Lord. They have lied. They have put them in their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and they run because they have been, li they have been made liable to what? To destruction. I will not be with you anymore. Okay, listen to this. I will not be with you anymore unless you do what? Destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Go consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, there are devoted things among you. Israel, you cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. And I'm going to stop there for just a moment because I, let's be honest, man, this is not going to be a feel-good message, right? Sometimes we fail. And the reality of it is, is that a lot of times it's because of our own stupidity. But a lot of times in our culture, instead of accepting that we've made a mistake and trying to, 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 to make it right, we make excuses. And I think that's really interesting. I think it's, it's also one of the things that we can learn through this is that when we walk through difficult things, it tends to expose our greatest weaknesses and expose what we truly 
Believe, right? Because we started this series, a series is titled Believe, and one of the things that I said from the beginning is what you believe determines what you do. And we see that the Israelites in this moment kind of let some of their selfishness and their own pride get in the way. And so here are the lessons that we learn from this this morning. What I love about this Joshua 7 is it actually gives us a little bit, not only a little bit of a picture of ourselves, but it also gives us a picture of the nature of God and, and who He is. So let's, let's look at what this passage teaches. The first thing is this, is that disobedience leads to loss. Disobedience leads to loss. And I even wrote this down. It can even, as we see in this passage, it can even lead to destruction. Now, here's the thing that we know to be true about this is that AI, I mean, the Israelites were routed by AI, which was a small, much smaller group of people. There's no reason why Israel, the Israelites should not have won, but they had already, there was one person in the camp who sinned and it affected the whole group. And so we have to begin to look at that for just a minute. But before we say that, before I say that, there's another truth that's maybe even a little bit deeper, is that what God wanted to do as they went in to take Jericho, he wanted the, the things that were of bronze, silver, metals, the things that were actually worth something to be put into the Lord's treasure. Because here's what God was trying to teach the Israelites, is that we are to give our first fruits to the Lord. Like, oh, here we go. Uh, but, that's, but that's something that God started back then, and it's something that should carry into generations, even into our life now, is that the, we are to give the first fruits. And what happened was one person decided that they wanted to keep some of what was there, and so they took it and they hid it up under their tent because they wanted these material things. They weren't giving, they didn't give their first fruits, but what's really interesting is that in the battles to come, what they would actually do is God would actually bless them in the battles to come, but they lost this very second battle because they didn't give their first fruits to the Lord. And so let that be a lesson this morning. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It didn't say money was evil. It says that it's the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. We see this in Achan's life because of what he wanted. So, so let's look at the sin. So disobedience, or if we could say sin this morning, or making bad decisions, or doing things that go against God's will, it leads to loss, period. So one man stole from God, and it affected all the Israelites. Here's what I want to, so I have a couple of thoughts about sin, and it's this. First, sin leads us to, into places we don't want to go, and it makes us do things that we don't want to do. 
It leads us to places that we don't want to go, and it makes us do things that we don't want to do, right? Paul in Romans writes, the things I do, I don't want to do, and the things I don't want to do, that's what I do. It's this human nature, and yes, it is a little bit of a human nature for us, but we have to begin to learn through it, and we have to learn, we have to learn that when we are disobedient, it can actually send us to places, because what, here's what happens most of the time in our culture. Most of the time in our culture, when we make a bad decision, it's not like we just come out and say, oh, I, okay, I made a bad decision, right? We, we make it worse. We try and hide it. We try and bury it. We try and we, we try and skirt around like your husband or wife comes to you and, and they catch you in something. It's like, hey, did you do this? Oh, no, I didn't do nothing. It's kind of like your kids, right? I broke a window. I broke a window when I was a kid and my parents came to me and said, did you break that? No, it was her. She did it. My, my niece did it. We were just playing and she threw it. She hit it. And, and so instead of actually, and listen, how many of you are from the South? Okay, I wish. Okay. We're really good at lying from the South because we don't always like to tell the truth. Because we don't want people to feel bad. You see, like, how do you know that, Pastor Chris? Because I lived in New York for a little while. No, seriously. Some of you guys are not very happy right now with me. So, so I grew up in the South and lived in a family that we weren't always honest with each other. And instead of hurting each other's feelings, we either didn't say anything at all or we, we kind of skirted the truth. I went up to New York, lived in New York for five years, hung out with a bunch of people, and they were always honest. I thought, these people don't like me. (laughs) But what I learned in my time there, that it was actually better for me to be honest and, and, and navigate the relationship that way than it was for me to try and hide the truth. And we, listen, we know that when disobedience happens, If we don't deal with it immediately, it only compounds as time goes by. So, so a couple weeks ago, I ordered me a brand new golf club. And I suck at golf. (laughs) But I thought, hey, a new golf club will make me a better golfer. (laughs) Right? How many golfers? How many clubs make you a better golfer? Come on, yeah, it does. Well, at least I told myself that, right? I lied to myself. All right. And so, so I ordered it. I ordered it online. I went over to pick it up. They gave, they gave me the club because um, I ordered it on, online, went over there, picked it up in store. And a few days later, the same club shows up at my door. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, their mistake, right? Now I got two clubs. And I'm still not that good. And, and, and so, like, there's this wrestling within me. Like, what do I do? Like, it's their fault. It wasn't my fault. And so, I, I was talking to Ashley about it, and, and I knew what the, thing, the right thing to do was, and I did the right thing. I took it back. I walked up to the, I walked up to the counter, and I said, hey, ma'am, 
I was like, I ordered a club. I came in, you know, a week, a week ago and I picked it. See, it took me a week to do it because I had to just really wrestle with it. Just <laughs> and, so I, and so I just walked in. I said, hey, man, I know this is really weird, but I ordered this club. I came in last week. I, they gave me a club. And then all of a sudden, this one showed up at, this one showed up at my door. And I'm not sure why. And he's like, he looked at me really confused. And I said, I said, hey, man, this is not my club. I didn't pay for it. He's like, what? And he's like, hold on, man, let me call my manager. So he gets on the thing and he calls the manager and he says, uh, this guy showed up, so he's got a club. And the manager said, just take it from him. <laughs> I handed it back to him. I said, hey, man, I, for one, I don't need two clubs, but I didn't pay for the club. Instead of keeping it, right, the right thing to do was to take it back, to do the right thing. And the guy looked at me and he said, he said, he, he looked over the counter and he said, man, nobody ever does this. He said, on my radio, he said, I heard all of the other employees that have radio on saying, I can't believe that he actually brought it back. And so in that moment, it was doing the right thing. Instead of compounding, I could have kept it. And every time I would have swung that club, I would have felt guilty. Not only would the shot have gone way right. <laughs> but I would have felt guilty. Sin leads us to places we don't want to go. And it causes us to do things that we don't want to do. Sin separates, from, separates us from God. It affects our relationship with the Lord, if we don't deal with it immediately, if we don't do something with it, it affects us. Sin, here's, here's the one thing, sin affects more than just you. Sin affects more than just you. And it, sin has to be dealt with because when we try to hide it, then all it does is it starts to really impact more people the more that it gets out of control. And sin, in this situation, sin brought death. Because see, what ha here's what happened. So God reveals it to Joshua. Joshua confronts the people. Achan says, yes, that's me. And God says, okay, take Achan and all of his stuff and go. And he's stoned by the people and burned. Now, I, you're like, man, that's, a, that, that's not a very nice God. In the Old Testament, a lot of times, that's the way God dealt with people. Thankfully, it's not the way that God necessarily deals with people now. Because I believe that God gives us so much more grace and mercy. Thank you, Jesus. There's, there's grace and mercy. And so we're seeing, so what's the picture that we need to learn this morning is this, is that although God is a loving God, the other picture is that God is a just God and we should do what he says. And when sin or disobedience comes into our life, then we need to recognize it and we need to deal with it when we become aware of it. Because I can remember as a kid, listen, I can remember as a kid, I grew up in a church, I grew up in a legalistic church, and like I had my parents tell, tell us, hey, if you got a tattoo, you were going to hell. 
Like if you wore rings, you were going to hell. So it was a legalistic church that there were things that, that, that pastors had taught them that if you do these things, you, if you have a drink of alcohol, you're going to hell. And, and, and kind of began to give all this list of things. And so I can remember as a teenager growing up, like, man, I hope I don't do anything wrong. Because if I do one thing wrong, God might kill me. Now, I, don't, I do believe there's nothing wrong with walking in the fear of God, right? There's a difference between being afraid and fearful and then walking in the fear and reverence of a holy God. Because the, the lesson here learned for us is that, that God does have grace, he does have mercy, but he is a just God. He is a just God and he does have an expectation for us to live up to as we strive in relationship with him. And here's what I think the other, other thing is, is that sin, if continued, does lead to death. Sin and without a relationship with Jesus leads to eternal death. And that's the truth for us this morning to know more than anything. God's expectation for the nation of Israel was to give them, was to give them the first fruits of the victory that he had promised. He wanted them to give the first fruits, but instead they stole from him. Proverbs 3, 9 says, to honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. But instead, Achan was disobedient and took and buried it under his tent. Last couple of things real quick. Uh, without God's help, every battle will be lost. You see, they became confident. Joshua sent the spies into the land. The spies come back and say, oh, we, you know, we really don't need a big army. They're really not, you know, they're really not that big of people. There's not many of them. Just send a couple thousand in there and and, and what I believe is all of a sudden, hey, we took Jericho. All of a sudden, their arrogance and their pride kind of got in the way. And I'm not so sure how much they actually went to God and said, God, would you help us win this battle? How many times do we think that we can walk through life and do something on our own without the help of God? Arrogant and prideful enough to believe that we don't need his help, even because, because most of the time, if it's something big in our life, then we go to God and say, oh, God, help us when we know that we can't, con when it's out of our control. But how many small things do you actually go to before you actually walk through them and ask for the help of God? When we take God out of the battle, we lose. Arrogance will lead to defeat. And we need God's help in everything. A couple of things real quick. God loves us enough to let us lose. God loves us enough to let us lose. Because it's in loss that we actually grow. It's in that loss that we actually grow. And God can and will restore if we are willing to confess like I realized that in this situation, 
Achan came forward and confessed what he has done, but God in his just, because he had said this is what he's going to do, that's what he ended up doing was allowing Achan to be killed. But fortunately for us, God has given us that redemption story in the person of Jesus that when we mess up, if we come to confession, that's when actually life begins for us. Is because of his death, which means we have to die to our self. But God loves us enough to let us lose. And then Joshua chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Then the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid. Okay, so they've walked through all this. They've been defeated. And here we jump into, into chapter, two, chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. It says, then the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack Ai. For I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except that you may carry off the plunder. See, this is the blessing because now they're being obedient that you may carry off the plunder and the livestock for yourselves set an ambush behind the city. And God gives them how to, how to route AI. And so my last point is this, obedience leads to victory. There may be loss. There may be loss through life and I think there always is, right? We can, there's none of us that can look at our life in the past and say, man, it's just been a bed of roses. No, God's allowed us to walk through some pretty difficult things, every single one of us. He's allowed us to make a fool of ourselves. He's allowed us to do some things out of stupidity. But what we know to be true about He is, is that when we walk in obedience, it leads to victory. Even after Achan's sin, listen to this, even after Achan's sin, when it was dealt with, it was a springboard to victory. It was a springboard to victory. So sometimes when we fail and sometimes when we feel defeated, we can still find victory. So my question in all of this this morning is what needs to be cleaned out of the house? What was it that affected the Israelites? It was the sin of Achan. And the Israelites found victory when they dealt with the sin in the camp. And so my question to you this morning is to surrender yourself to the Lord and say, God, is there anything in me that's keeping me from the obedience? Is there anything in me that's keeping me from the blessing of the Lord? And will you begin to reveal that to me now? Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's arrogance. Maybe there's something in your marriage. Maybe there's something in your work. 
Maybe it's a character or an integrity issue that you have that you haven't dealt with. Here's the great thing is that we're all broken, messed up people. And we all have stuff that we've got to constantly be asking God to reveal to us and deal with us the stuff. But we've got to deal with the sin that's in the camp. Because in that, on the other side, it becomes a springboard to victory in your life. Don't, listen to me, don't continue to bury it. Let's pray. Sin is an ugly thing. There there are a lot of churches, even a lot of pastors that don't want to talk about sin. They want to make you just feel good. (laughs) But the Bible is pretty clear. That sin, yes, it can be forgiven, but it can also lead to death. It has consequences. And so my question to you this morning is, is there something that God wants to reveal to you in this moment that in revealing it to you, he actually wants to show you his love, his redemption, his restoration. You know, some of the hardest things to admit is that I have an addiction. I have a problem. I don't want people to know that that's what I've been doing or that's who I am. But it's not until that moment that we realize, because who cares what people think, really? We've become a culture that cares what people think too much. And the reality of it is we should truly care about what God thinks. Because if you admit, if you become vulnerable and authentic and you admit something to someone that you're really struggling with, if that person starts to berate you and bail on you, then they really weren't your friend in the first place. And then you'll begin to see that people will come around you that truly love you and care about you. So no matter how small you may feel that this thing is in your life or no matter how big that you may feel like this thing is in your life, there's victory waiting on the other side. God, I just pray right now in this moment that we can find victory. Set us free from the sin that so easily entangles and let us run the race marked out for us.
Confess it to the Lord right now. Is it addiction? Confess it. Is it alcohol? Is it pornography? Confess it to the Lord. Is it a money problem? Confess it to the Lord. Is it a relationship? Is it a marriage? You're like, hey, if I say that, I'm going to lose everybody in my life. The enemy a lot of times will tell you what the outcome will going to be. But don't trust the enemy. Trust the Lord for the outcome. There's no reason for you to walk in that sin anymore. But to walk in victory. Confess it to him right now. Confess it to him. God, we commit these things to you. We love you. And we thank you for your redemption, your restoration, your reconciliation. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand together. We want to give you the opportunity. Maybe you want to come down front and this is your moment. You're like, well, Pastor Chris, if I go down front, everybody think I got a big problem. Welcome to the club. But what you'll find is people will come around you and they'll love on you and pray for you. The church body should be a caring, loving body that helps people walk through the most difficult things in life. And so let's use this as a moment to do that. If you'd like to just confess these things to the Lord in this moment, let's sing together.